to What the Fertility. Today we have Megan French with us to discuss her long journey through infertility. She was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis, low ovarian reserve coupled with early menopause. And she's going to kind of share with us her journey through infertility and now what it looks like using donor eggs. So welcome, Megan. Thanks. Happy to be here happy to have you. So I'd love to kind of four years is a long time, yeah, as you know, so I'd love to kind of hear kind of really where it started, where you kind of identified, Hey, I'm going to have to look for some additional treatment to, to build a family. Yeah. Um, so it started with just kind of where everyone starts, you start tracking ovulation and all that fun stuff. And it, wasn't really, obviously wasn't working. Um, but after I came off birth control initially, my periods were pretty regular. So I was like, oh, this is great. Like things are regular. My doctor ran some labs and she said everything looked pretty good. Um, so we just continued to kind of try the old fashioned way. Um, and then like several months later, I started having kind of abnormal bleeding where it was I would joke with my husband, I'd be like, okay, today I'm not bleeding. I know this sounds gross, but like, it was, you know, it's it was true. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, like, no, I, I totally get that. You're like, oh, I'm on my period. And then like 10 days later, you're like, again, I'm on my period. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bleeding. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of constant. So I went back to my OB and, um, she's like, all right, well, let's do an ultrasound. And she saw like a little bit of thickening on my uterus. And she said, there's, um, some adenomyosis, but that doesn't affect fertility which is not really true. Um, but then she ran some more labs again and she's like, well, everything still looks fine. It's like, okay. She was like, just, I think it's just your body readjusting to being off the pill. So a few months passed and I actually got pregnant. Um, at that point I had no idea what a chemical pregnancy was. Um, and so when she told me that it was a chemical pregnancy, which I hate that term, by the way, it's just, it's, I do. I hate it too. It's yeah. so fr- and I hate to even refer to it like that. I so, I, so you got the positive pregnancy test and then were you immediately like calling your OB? Like anybody yeah. would, you know, like, okay, yeah. I'm pregnant. Like, what do I do? Yeah. And especially cause I did that and then it was, it lightened. And then I was like Googling things like crazy. Um, Been and so I went in and yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> But I was like, well, this is a great sign. Like, this is, this is so good. Like what, you know, of course. And then she was like, all right. She's like, well, she was going to try me on like Clomid and do a couple things. And then she's like, you know what? She's like, because of all like the abnormal bleeding and everything, she's like, let me run a couple more labs. That's when she ran my AMH and it was 0.7, which was low, but it's not, it wasn't terribly low, but she's like, I'm just going to send you to the fertility clinic because of your age, the AMH now. Also, I don't understand what's going on with this abnormal bleeding. So she did, she sent me, um, to the fertility clinic and the first fertility clinic, fertility clinic I went to, I, I did not have a great experience. Um, ultimately he did my ultrasound and he said, everything looked pretty normal. It was, I had a little bit of that adenomyosis that they had noticed, um, but the abnormal bleeding was fine. We can move ahead with IVF. That's and a quick was, jump. I, yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. wait, I, I can get pregnant and 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was just like focused on, he's like, just lose 10 pounds. And I was like, okay, but, but I want to know why, like, I'm having, like, they sent me here to get worked up for what's going on. And he was like, yeah, I'm not going to do any of that. Like, just lose some weight and then come back. And did I just he, felt. Did he ever address like the chemical, the, pre- the miscarriage? No. He didn't. No, he didn't address any of that. He really didn't address any of my, like, I just felt very dismissed. Um, and I remember leaving that appointment and I just like burst into tears in the car with my husband. And I was just apologizing to him. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. This is all my fault. And he was like, Oh my, no, this is not your fault. Um, and I just, I just felt like a terrible, like he just made me feel so terrible about myself, made me feel like I was not worthy of, you know, getting pregnant. Like it was just, it was a really bad experience that I feel like that experience I've actually taken with me throughout the last several years. Cause anytime anything doesn't work, I'm like, it's just because I need to lose weight. And well, that's what I was going to bring up. I mean, first of all, 10 pounds is very insignificant. And I was like, okay, I, was like, I know. I was like, if you told me I needed to lose a hundred, that might be something. Absolutely. And again, like you said, you got in the car and you felt like that, like he put that on you because you know, that's, that's ridiculous. And I think you'll probably share that moving forward, but the clinics I've been to, you know, they specifically say, we don't believe in weight loss for like to improve fertility. Yeah. And I mean, obviously being your healthiest self is, is the best, you know, route, but it, even my OB, when I told her, she's like, that is not the issue here. She's like, something's going on. And she's like, let's go for a second opinion at the other fertility clinic. And as soon as I met with the other fertility clinic, first of all, it was like night and day. You're and, with the one that I went to, right? Well, I'm with the one that was there initially. And then I, they I, bought that one. Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, and so she was like, I'm more concerned with the low AMH, the abnormal cycles, all this stuff. She's like, let's do an ultrasound. Mind you, this is two weeks after my ultrasound with the other clinic. And she's, wow. she does an ultrasound and she goes, this is not, this is not normal at all. She's like, I can't even visualize your ovaries. She's like, your tubes don't look normal. She's like, I'm seeing cysts. She's like, this is not normal. She's like, we need to move forward with a saline sonogram and an HSG. Wow. And I was like, okay, like, big difference. <laughs> what happened? What happened in 14 days? And, and so, <laughs> wait, so at this point, so I know you said it's been four years. So really did it take like a year before you sought treatment? Cause it sounds like your OB was incredible and was like, let's go straight to the fertility clinic. It took me, um, probably close to a year. Yeah. Because at first it was like normal cycles and I was just doing all the ovulation stuff. And then, um, then I started with the abnormal bleeding. Then we had the ultrasound and blood work and then I went back. So yeah, it was probably close to a year before I actually went to my first fertility clinic. Um, so then the other clinic, they, you know, I got scheduled for all that and she, the HSG, she was like, well, your tubes are completely blocked there. She goes, what I would call is a hydrocell pinks, which um, is, it's, it's a weird thing. It's like the, there's fluid. So I, weird, I weirdly know about that. So at the first fertility clinic I went to, they actually diagnosed me with that on one of my tubes. Oh. And when I went to get a second opinion. He, he was like, that you don't have that, but I had done all of the research in the months. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, I guess like the fluid that, you know, I guess yeah. drip. So if you get pregnant, 
and the fluid leaks onto the embryo, that's what could cause miscarriage. It's like a, it's like toxic, toxic. to embryos. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So um, you had so that on both tubes? On both tubes. Um, oh. so I took pictures of it and all, cause I was like, I just wanted to know everything. Of course. Um, and then of course I went home and Googled it and she was like, you need to go back to your OB and go for an, uh, a lap, a laparoscopy. Um, cause she's like, you probably need your tubes removed. And so then I, when I went home and I Googled what causes this, there was like two things that popped up. It was like pelvic inflammatory disease and endometriosis. And I was like, well, I've never had pelvic inflammatory disease. And then I'm reading about endometriosis and I was like, um, I have all these symptoms. <laughs> definitely have endometriosis. And so then, um, luckily my, my sister, not luckily, but she um, went through some infertility stuff too. So she was like, you need to find someone that knows what they're doing and someone that can do excision surgery and all that stuff. So I did some research. I ended up, um, actually at the clinic that we go to now, up in their other office in the upstate because they weren't open down here. Yeah. Um, with one of their doctors that specializes in endometriosis and such. So he read, read my history and he was like, oh my God, you're classic for endometriosis. Isn't that so frustrating? It's because so frustrating. Especially like when you're trying to have a baby every week yeah. is very significant to miss. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So he did my ultrasound and he was like, oh yeah. He's like, it's everywhere. He's like, I can see it. It's like wrapped around your, like your appendix is abnormal and all this. So I was like, okay. Um, so they scheduled me for surgery. So I had the surgery November 4th, 2019. Okay. And that was the full laparoscopic surgery mm -hmm. and the excision. The excision, yeah. So they, initially they said, you know, it would probably be like an hour or two surgery. It ended up being close to five hours of surgery. Um, when they got in there, it was what they call a fully frozen pelvis. So it was like my whole, I actually like was yeah, reading it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was deep fibrosis and disease within the pelvis that there was no mobility of the uterus, adnexa or rectum. And um, so it was stage four, fully frozen pelvis. It was throughout my bowel. It was wrapped around my appendix, my intestines. They had to take my appendix, both my tubes. They took um, your appendix? Yeah. Out? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a serious, I mean, it's a serious, serious surgery. Did you have, yeah. did you have like painful symptoms? Like, did you have cramps and all that kind of stuff? So now looking back, um, I always, I went on birth control when I was like, I think 15 or 16, cause I had terrible periods and that's like the answer to terrible periods, like for women, which is so frustrating now. Um, but yeah, for years I had terrible cramps. They would like run down my legs. I would like be like in so much pain. And then not only that, I've been back and forth to, doctors for GI issues my entire life. This was like a huge eye-opening because oh you, God. and I think with that stuff too, you go, you go under anesthesia, having no idea what they're going to yeah. find. So you wake up to all of this news. Yeah. Yeah. The whole time I was like chasing IBS and this and that it was all endometriosis, even my lower back pain. Wow. was endometriosis. Wow. Um, 
so that was crazy and also infuriating at the same time because I don't know how many women are just dismissed. Like after that, I was reading, I think it takes an average of seven to 10 years to get diagnosed with endo and an average of like five to six doctors. Like it's insane. I believe it. I completely believe it. We've had a few guests on that have had endo and, you know, some of them, you know, recently that have been on have now right after the surgery have gone on to conceive like literally two months later, which is, it's just, it's such a hard disease to diagnose because like a lot of it could be silent, but, but for you, I mean, stage four, you would think, Hey, come on, let's catch this the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really worried about having the surgery before doing like an egg retrieval because I was reading that that can also cause worsening. And they were like, you, we can't even visualize your ovaries to even try to do that. And like, even in the surgery, like they had to like dig for my ovaries and it was like in my rectum, like they had, they like removed a couple nodules there, but didn't go like too far. Um, And then also like there was one area, like the ureters were dilated because of um, constriction from the fibrosis. So even like my ureters were like, it was, yeah, it was going to be a stupid question, I think, but like, really there's, is there any quote unquote cause of endo or are you born with it and it continues to grow? It's such like this mysterious disease. It is. There's no they, they say it is hereditary. So, um, I didn't never even knew this because my mom, like she used to laugh. She's like, I could just sneeze and I get pregnant. And I'm like, <laughs> Great mom. Thanks, thanks so much. Not what I want to hear today. <laughs> um, and she though, through with her last pregnancy, she had a, um, chocolate cyst, which is an endometrioma. So she obviously had endometriosis. So I, you know, I, I don't know if, that's, I've heard it's hereditary, but they now think it's like an immune mediated yes. type of disease. I've, I've um, heard that like yeah. inflammatory, of course. Yeah. yeah. And they okay, said it so kind of acts like a cancer. It just kind of like spreads and can go to like. And I think that goes back to your original point of like at 15 years old, women are having these symptoms and at like probably like 13, like late twenties, thirties. Yeah. Now you're just now going to address it anyways so you wake up from the surgery and you find out that your appendix is gone and I know worse than you thought I was like whoa um and he's like yeah that's probably been growing since your early 20s and I was like oh okay great um (laughs) and so in my mind I was like well great it's all gone like now I'm just gonna be able to have a baby yeah of course (laughs) That that was dumb um so went home and I was you know fine post-op obviously a little like painful. And then five days later, I spiked with a fever and I called and I I said, you know, I'm really kind of having almost like urinary tract symptoms. Like I'm having trouble urinating and they just put me on antibiotics. Then like within the next day or two, my fever was not going down. It was actually getting worse. And he's like, "Uh, you need to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and they scanned me and I had an abscess in one of the areas where they excised endometriosis. There was a diverticulum behind it, um, which was partially, I don't know, it was attached or whatever. So the abscess stemmed from there basically. Um, And so when I went into the hospital, they had, they took me to interventional radiology and put a drain into the abscess. And then I was on like three different 
antibiotics. They were had me on like big time antibiotics because they didn't know they were waiting for cultures and everything. So finally, my cultures come back and it's a very extremely resistant E. coli that was only sensitive to one antibiotic, which was an injectable antibiotic. So they're like, well, we got to, we have to put a pick line in because you are going to have to go home and give yourself IV antibiotics every day. My my jaw is on the floor. (laughs) This is absolutely insane. Oh, this is not even the worst part. (laughs) All for fertility. (laughs) I know, right? Um, So they put a pick line in and I get a blood clot. And (laughs) so they come back and they were like, all right, they put me on like blood thinners. Fine. Then they, my fever finally broke. I was on the right antibiotic. They sent me home, but I had like a home health nurse, like coming to like change my bandages or whatever. And I felt like I was 90 years old. Um, I mean, gosh, at this point from the surgery till right now, I mean, you're like a couple weeks in. Yeah. Cause I was, that hospital stay was about 10 days. Oh my God because I couldn't get my fever down because I wasn't on the correct, because my, it was such a resistant strain that until they got those cultures back, like the antibiotics weren't touching it really. Well, I mean, you had a massive surgery. I did. I did. But still, I mean, wow. Yeah. So I went home and everything was okay. And then about five or six days later, I woke up And my drain, the one that like was from the stomach abscess was filled with blood. And I was like, I looked at my husband, I'm like, I don't, this is not normal. This isn't normal. And he's like, no. So we um, called the doctor and um, he's like, you need to go to the hospital. This is a nightmare. I'm like, I'm so just in all of you still moving forward (laughs) after this. Yeah. Wow. So I went to the emergency room, they scanned me again. And at this point I'm like bleeding like around the insertion site of where the drain is. And they scan me and they're like, oh, like there's a small hematoma, but it's probably from the blood thinners. But we really don't want to keep you here because of how bad your infection is. Like this is the last place you need to be. And I was like, all right. But as like the time went on, I was in so much pain I was like, something is not right. Like I'm in so much pain. I can't urinate. Like this is like, I've never, I'm, I have a really high pain tolerance. I feel like, and I was, I mean, like, just I- you <laughs> describing this, I mean, you don't have to say you had a high pain tolerance. That is, this is insane. Yeah. So they sent me home and then I went home and I was in excruciating pain. And so we called the doctor again and, um, we went back and the emergency room just put a put a urinary catheter in and sent me home again. So I went home again. And then around 1 a.m. that night, I was just like hovered over the bed, like shaking. And I looked at my husband and I said, something is very, very wrong. Something is very wrong. Like we need to go back. And we went back to the ER. By the time I went back, the, I just remember the doctor, he was this like little old man and he's flipping through a book and he was like, I don't, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know. All I know is like you're septic and you're bleeding and you need to go downtown right now. And they threw me in an ambulance. So now I know moral of the story. If you ever have a true emergency, just go to downtown MUSC. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to name drop the hospital, but oh my gosh. I mean, I, there's so much, this could be like a seven hour podcast. There's so much trauma. I feel like just from this one event. Yeah. 
So they put me in an ambulance. And at this point, my hemoglobin was six, which is like 12 is normal. Like I was very anemic. Um, and I just wasn't like the urinary catheter was just filling with blood. So I get there and mind you, like, I kind of like remember bits and pieces because they were like pumping me up with drugs and I was kind of out of it. But I do remember like probably like eight to 10 doctors in the room from all different like, like uh, expertise, whatever. And they were all like, oh, we have to figure out what's going on. We have to figure out where the bleeding's coming from. We might have to just like open you like completely. And thank God they didn't do that because they would have killed me if they just would have opened me. Um, but they're like, first we need to stabilize the bleeding. So I had like five blood transfusions and my clotting levels, like all my, they were not normalizing. So I was still, um, just not clotting and they took me, then my kidney values started going through the roof. So they took me to surgery to put stents in my ureters, but they had to abort and, because they couldn't see anything. It was too dangerous with all the blood. So they, my poor husband, they woke him up at like the attending woke him up at like 4 a.m. and was like, I'm sorry, it was too dangerous. We couldn't do it. And he's like, what, 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 what do you mean? Like, well, what's gonna happen now? Like, and they're like, we don't know. We just, we have to, we'll come up with a plan tomorrow. All for this. And I don't wanna use the word elective like super casually, but I mean, all for this like, yeah. of elective surgery. And so kind of going back when your appendix was taken out, was that just done by a reproductive endocrinologist or did like, do you know? Like, yeah, it was taken, it was taken out by them. Yeah. Like during the surgery. And that's actually pretty normal for endometriosis. Well, a lot of times, yeah, yeah, a lot of times the appendix is involved. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is, I had no idea. I'm like, like truly, <laughs> truly in shock. And I'm just so impressed that you're still going forward. So you're probably now in what December of 2019. Yes. So we finally, they like did the reversal of Zeralto and like things started to like my clotting level started to like normalize. So they took me, but they, at this point, my kidney levels were so high and my GFR was nine. Anything under 15 is end stage, meaning you need dialysis or a kidney transplant. And so they were like, if this doesn't normalize, we, you're going to be put on dialysis in 12 hours. And <laughs> so they took me to surgery again and they ended up putting nephrostomy tubes into my kidneys. And after they did that, my levels started to drop. So then I had the tubes in my kidneys, the tube in my stomach, the pick line. I was in the hospital again for probably close to two weeks. After uh, like an already really major surgery. Yeah. Um, and my hemoglobin levels like started to go up. And so until I was like stable, then they set, I was sent home obviously, but I had the home healthcare nurse coming in to like get blood every couple days, change my things and just like, it was- I- at this point, were you even thinking about having a baby or were you like, my, I'm done? I was, I, I, I don't even, I was just like, what, like, I didn't even think it was possible at that point almost. Cause I was like, I feel like there's so much trauma to my insides now. Like what is going to happen? I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was out of work for three months, obviously. Um, and then finally in January, mid January, end of January, I went for a nephrostigram where they like cap your tubes to make sure once they're capped that like your kidney levels are still remaining normal. Um, 
all that. And then right before I had my nephrostogram, I said to the urologist, I said, Hey, I said, just in the past couple of days, I've been having like air from my lady parts. Like, and he goes, Oh, I think you have a fistula. And I was like, Oh, Oh my God. More to <laughs> add to the list. So they scanned me and I ended up having a colovaginal fistula from where the abscess was. So they sent me to a GI surgeon who was like, Oh, if you have a baby, we're just going to have to put you, um, put, put a colostomy bag in place. So your baby doesn't go septic. And I was like, Whoa, like what is happening? Um, and then they sent me to another OB guy and he was like, no, he's like, this can be fixed. He goes, but I don't, I'm not taking you to surgery right now. He's like, absolutely not. He goes, I think we should just wait and see if it closes on its own, which we did. We waited. Um, he goes, but while you're here, let me just like run some like labs. Cause I was like, Hey, by the way, like my hair's falling out and like, <laughs> which could be from trauma. I mean, just everything. So he calls me the next morning and he goes, your FSH is really high, which means you're in early menopause. You need to call your RE right away. And I was like, okay. I, was like, I can't, I, I can't, I feel I'm so like whiplash from this story. So they never did like your FSH. SH or LH or any of those labs originally. Yeah, no, they did. They were all normal. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. So the only thing that was low was my AMH, but my FSH and everything was normal. Um, You're a warrior. I, this is probably the, <laughs> this is probably the most intense story I've personally ever heard. It's a lot. Yeah. So I texted my RE who we were good friends by that point. Um, <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. And he's like, all right, I'll call you later. Um, and we, we ended up like, I went on some meds or whatever. We tried to normalize things and it normalized a little bit. Um, then like, it was just kind of a waiting game. Like I just, you know, a few months passed by. And then I don't even know, now looking back, I'm like, why? But this is just how I am. I just like push through. Clearly, and I, clearly. I, yeah. And I was like, and he's like, well, we can try to do an egg retrieval. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's just do it. Like just like six months after all of this yeah. insanity. Okay. Yeah. Your pain tolerance is really, really high. Yeah. But at this point, my AMH had dropped to less than 0.015. So the chance was like, but well, and I, I feel like for you too, anytime the AMH is that low or like early menopause, time is of the essence. Well, so. that was the thing that I was worried about. I was like, I feel like I need to like get on this. And my husband's like, okay. <laughs> Your <laughs> um, poor husband is probably like still traumatized. Yeah. Oh, he is. <laughs> like, I'll like joke about it sometimes. And he's like, do you want me to run through the first 24 hours you were in the hospital? He's like, do you realize you almost died? And I'm like, I mean, I do now after I read my report, Yeah. like after I read all the records from like MUSC, I was like, oh, this was really bad. And he's like, yeah. I yeah, could have told you that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you decided to do an egg retrieval like mid 2020. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So, um, obviously we didn't get, I mean, at first, like I, some follicles started and then we ended up only with one follicle, but everything looked okay. So we went ahead. There was no egg in it. Um, so we were going to try to do a back to back stim because that sometimes can work. And if you do like lower dose stim, so we tried that, but we ended up canceling, um, because it just, nothing was happening. Um, so then we took 
some more time off. Um, I wasn't getting a period at this point. So they had to like induce a period. Um, and then they had me on meds to keep me like some estrogen just to keep things comfortable. Um, and so then back, then like, I guess several months later, we tried one more time and it again, didn't work. When you say tried one more time, tried for another, to do another, tried egg, another egg retrieval. Okay. So that's three at this point. Yeah. Um, and I think I just was like, so like, I just wanted to try, even though I think I knew deep down, like it was not going to work, but I was so also kind of just angry at this point too, because I was like, I knew I should have pushed for someone to do an egg retrieval before surgery. And my husband's like, no one could even see your ovaries. Yeah. And I was and like, I, I totally could have found someone. I could have found someone. And he's I like, I totally okay. understand. And especially yeah. because you had seen that positive pregnancy test yeah. and you're like, okay, this is my end goal. I got to get back yeah. there again. Yeah. I know I can be pregnant. So let's get another chance. Yeah. So then um, they were like, yeah, like donor eggs are going to be really your only option. And I was like, all right, well, so, <laughs> so then I decided to get like, second opinion from like one of the top endo specialists in Chicago and in New York. And they were both like, no, you need to do donor eggs. Really? <laughs> like they were like, the one, the guy in New York was like, he started the phone call consult with what the F <laughs> what the, and I was like, I mean, oh. I mean, now that I've heard your story, I mean, you're just so brave to even want to do, because I mean, IVF and even all of egg retrievals, it's so invasive anyways. And it it's specifically yeah. where you just had all that trauma. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So he was like, do you realize you almost died? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. He's like, never mind the fact that I don't necessarily think you'll get, you know, much from doing egg retrievals. He's like, it's not safe for you. He's yeah. like, it's not safe to keep doing that. He's like, and I was like, oh. And then my husband's like, you heard him. It's not safe. Like, let's stop. Because like at this point, he was just so worried because obviously, you know. And I think, you know, as women and my, my personal experience with my husband, our drive to have a baby is a little bit higher than theirs sometimes. And yeah. we'll be as crazy as it takes to get it where they're like, can you please take care of yourself? I know. And that's what, and like, I've always, I've never not wanted a child. So like, that was just something that I was like, I, I'm, it's happening. I'm going to have it. Like, it's yeah. going to happen somehow. Yep. Um, and so then we, you know, took another few months off and then I, we were out actually for dinner for my birthday, um, in December and he, um, we were kind of like, all right, what are our next steps? Like, are we going to do this? He's like, I feel like you're not sold on donor eggs. And I, for some reason, I don't, I still to this day, don't know why I was so not against it, but just like, I, cause I always joke. I was like, my, like my friends are my family. It's not like, I don't like, I'm not like super attached to my own genetics, but like for some reason, I guess I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And I think maybe now thinking about it, it was more just anger of how anger it of had, how like, I was kind of pushed into this option because of everything that happened. And so, you know, he had said to me, he's like, here's my thought. He goes, I feel like we could stop and not have kids and we could travel and do all these fun things and we would be fine for like 10 years he goes but in 10 years we're gonna regret it he goes and from the day I met you all you've ever said was that you wanted kids he's like and like I was like 
you're right. Like he, you know, he, I love he, your husband. I love it. <laughs> That's so great. I just love that. He's the like logical one. Like he's very, you know, he's, he's an engineer, he's logical and he's, um, and poor, I mean, poor man, he's, he's amazing. And the, the support and just everything he's been through too. Um, like the trauma that he's been through alone, you know, just watching me. Um, so I think that was, he was just like, I don't want to do anything else that's going to potentially like cause, um, harm. So, so then I was like, all right, well, let's look into donor eggs. And we started my, my clinic sent me like some profiles and they, they were so sad. These profiles, it was like a couple blurry pictures and like a couple little sentences. And I was like, how am I supposed to pick someone off of this? I was okay, like, I so, so somebody on Instagram asked this question and they said, they were said, what type of background information on the donor do you get? Um, so I know that Josh and I, we actually looked into embryo donation, like pretty heavily before we said, you know, I just want to, I moved to adoption because I didn't think I could carry a child. So that yeah. was kind of our, and we went through, we got profiles and stuff yeah. and Actually, I was shocked at how much information we got. So did you so end up? We ended up actually switching um, because I was like, I need more information than this. I was like, I feel like I want like to at least like feel a connection or just feel good about it. So um, I forget how or who led me to fertil- uh, Utah Fertility, but they have a huge fresh donor pool. I think that was also it because my doctor was like, if you can do a fresh donor, that's going to be better for you because frozen eggs don't always thaw well. And you will probably need multiple like, so. Okay. I don't know anything about this. The person at the end of that question said, do you only get PGT tested embryos? So that answer is no. Yeah. So for donor eggs, you can get fresh or frozen. So a frozen are just like the donor banks. Um, and sometimes like I have a friend who got five and only two survived the thaw. And I'm like, that's traumatizing after you spend close to $20,000 on five. Like that's oh, crazy. I'm going to interrupt you again. I knew how much it cost because we had looked into it, but someone said, um, so our donor eggs donated. And I kind of laughed <laughs> and it was like, or do they cost money? And boy, do they cost money. And oh, don't, they you cost money. don't you generally only get like six? Yeah. So I was like, Oh my God. Like, and then I was looking at like some fresh donor cycles, which are going to be like 40 to $50,000 at <gasps> for a fresh cycle. So I found this Utah fertility through, um, I don't even remember. And, um, they have a huge fresh donor pool. Like, I mean, hundreds of women, like it's insane. And you find out everything from like, pictures of them when they were younger now like a questionnaire like they answer all these questions like of their personal and like what they do and then like a whole background on their health including all their family that's amazing yeah so it was it was such a relief to kind of have all that information because I'm like listen if we're gonna do this like I want to like get the best like I don't you know health like you know yeah. what's more about having a healthy baby um and so then you would like talk to the um, fertility coordinators over there and they would go through like their past cycles. And like, so the first one that I really liked, she's like, mm, she doesn't get that much eggs. So like, you need to try someone else. And so we went back and forth for a while. And then I finally landed on one and then she didn't um, respond. 
And I was like so upset because I was like really like I just like felt really connected with this one. Um, and then I picked another one. And then the day that we were going to reach out to her, she reached out and she's like, I'm so sorry. Things have been crazy in my life. Whatever. I love, I love timing. That's so I know. <laughs> I was like, okay. So she's like, all right, I, I can cycle next month. Um, and so for anyone, I've actually sent a couple people there since. And it's probably different based on people's insurance and stuff, but like for a full fresh, like a full, all of her eggs for me to get all of her eggs with shipping and all this stuff, it was probably around between like 20 to 25,000, which is a lot of money, but for a full cycle. And that includes like the ICS, ICSI, like we shipped my husband's sperm out there. <laughs> for the day retrieval you don't really think about again I honestly never even thought about fresh donor eggs and just so for people listening that cost is because she has to go through IVF I mean Mm -hmm. she has to do that the shots and the stems and the egg retrieval and I'm listening to you and I guess it would just be like us spending 20 to 30 thousand dollars on an IVF cycle but you don't know what you're gonna get you could get nothing or you could get 15. Yeah. You could literally get nothing. And so like you could either fly in and my husband could have like given his sample the day of her retrieval. Um, or they were like, honestly with sperm, sperm travels very well. Uh, (laughs) yeah. Like, okay. Um, so we elected to ship it. So we coordinated that with our clinic. And so then it was there for just like if you or I were to do our own egg retrieval, retrieval like they sure. inseminate like, you know they make it right then and there so that's mm-hmm. why it's fresh and so we got oh my god she got I think it was like something like 26 eggs oh that's and then 22 fertilized and then we ended up with 15 embryos that's amazing um and then we we decided to test just because I was like you know what let's like I'd rather you know, be able to rule out, is it me or is it the embryo? Like if things aren't working. And so we did test, which probably added to the price. So if you don't test, that's, you know, but like their pricing was amazing. I don't blame um, you for after everything you've gone through, like just yeah. minimize yeah. as possible. But we got 12 genetically normal embryos. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, again, timing. I'm so happy she responded to you. You finally deserve some great news. No, I was like, oh my, like, I didn't even know. I was like, holy, like I, it was just crazy. That's a incredible results. Yeah. Yeah. Did you so, ever, did you ever get to communicate with the donor or? So no, it's, it's technically anonymous, but I actually, um, sent her a, uh, card and I just like wrote kind of our story and like thanked her. Um, and then I also sent her a paths of life, um, bracelet just because I was like, you know, this is not the path that I thought I would take, but here we are. And I'm glad that we crossed paths because of it, you know, you're, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't, you know, have this opportunity. Um, and in the beginning I was really upset about having to use donor eggs, but you know, now I'm just almost like grateful that this is an option. Like, I'm going to like, now, screw up. that is, yeah. that is really, really sweet. I love Yeah. That. Like it's, it's, it's crazy what we can do nowadays. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. Right. Absolutely beautiful. So are we in 2021 by the time you get these eggs? Yes. Okay. So got all those. And then, so our first transfer was 
So actually, so they really, really wanted me to do Lupron and the Letrozole prior, but I just, I had been on and off so many things and my body had been through so much that I was like, since we have so many embryos, like, can I try doing it without the Lupron? Um, and they were like, yeah, you can try. So the first one we did a transfer end of May, I guess. Yeah. End of May. Um, and it ended up being a chemical. I remember the first, I got like a, a positive test and I was like, oh my God. And then my husband laughed and he's like, of course the first one would work because we have 12 embryos. Right. Um, right. <laughs> but I was so concerned with having a chemical because I was, that's all I was thinking about was I would test and test. And I was like, no, that's it's all, you know, yeah. And so it just kept, it get lighter, lighter. And then my beta came back at like 10 and I was like, you know, devastated. That's what um, happened. Yeah. I had the yeah. same thing. I got like a positive four days after the transfer. Yeah. My beta was like 13 or something. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. I definitely yeah. is not still, I'm not, not pregnant. Yeah. And so I, they were like, yeah, but that's great that you got implantation. So we can just like roll into another transfer. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to do it. I'm just going to roll into another transfer. And we did. Um, and that one came back positive too. Um, but this one, this time it was, it was positive and it, my betas were trending normal and I was, I felt pregnant. Then I went for my first ultrasound and there was nothing in the sack. So I did not know this. Was it a blighted ovum? Yeah. I had one of those too. Yeah. I, and it was, the one at the uh, new doctor that had started there, um, she had done my ultrasound and she's like, she came into the room and she's like, oh my God, I heard all about you. She's like, this is exciting, blah, 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 whatever. And then that happened. And I felt so bad for her. She's like, oh God, this is like the worst way to meet. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, like blighted ovums are so bizarre. So my blighted so ovum was spontaneous and they basically just tell you it was a bad egg or a bad embryo and it was chromosomally yeah. abnormal. But since I've had that, I've heard more and more stories of PGT tested embryos through IVF resulting in a blighted ovum. Yeah. And so that was so like, and it, as soon as I saw that like empty, like I just obviously burst into tears because I was just like, I can't like, and then they were like, well, you can either wait to, you know, miscarry on your own or do a DNC. And they were like, it can take up to eight weeks. And I was like, I'm not going to walk around pregnant, but not pregnant for eight weeks. Like I can't. Yep. And with the blighted ovum, your gestational sac is the size of a regular pregnancy at that time. And I mean, yeah, I had the, they told me the same thing and and they said like, it could take over a month to miscarry because your body, your body basically with the blighted ovum keeps, they think that the embryo is in there. So they're going to keep growing, keep growing. HCG is going to keep coming. And so it takes a long time. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's like you miscarry, but your body doesn't like get the memo. Yeah. Um, and so they had, when I talked to him about that, he's like, I really think it's an, em- it was an embryo issue because everything looked good. you even like your sack looked normal and healthy. And I was like, but they're tested. And he's like, that's not always hundred percent, which it's not. I understand not, that. Yeah. But still I was like, like, that's so disheartening because you try to, you know, prevent stuff like that. So my um, third miscarriage was a blighted and this, yeah. this was too. Yeah. Well, actually so, we had the same, I had chemical, chemical blighted. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then, um, that was August. And then I, you know, we took some time off and then we were like, I was like, I really feel like I need to do all the testing and all this stuff. And 
they were like, I don't, you're getting implantation. Like, I really don't think you necessarily need to. But in your mind, I mean, now you're reoccurrent pregnancy loss. I know. And so I shouldn't have, but I, I did roll into another transfer in December, which unfortunately that one just failed. Um, so then since then I've, I've done an ERA and I'm, I just got my first shot of Lupron last week. Okay. So kind of backing up to the ERA, did you get any results from that or everything was just, so I'm still waiting on my results. Oh, I forget. My gosh. That's a long time. It's still, yeah. I'm yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, from what I've heard though, from the, the nurse is it's I'm pre-receptive, which also kind of annoys me because I'm like, well then clearly there was an implantation issue sort of like, you know, and I was like, ah, like so I, so I was pre-receptive. We did the extra hours of the 12 hours and I still had the chemical pregnancy. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, huh. I know there's okay. no, it's not ever like a perfect science, but no. yeah. I, now I'm just kicking myself. I'm like, I should have just done the loop run to begin with. And I should have done this. I wouldn't be here a year later. And my husband's like, calm down. Like you, like you're like, I literally was just like, my body was like, I just can't do it right now. But then I, I just went no, through with three transfers. I'm like, yeah, I think no matter what anybody decides to do, they're always like, I wish I would have just, like for me, right? Like I randomly get pregnant after all that loss. And I'm like, I should have yeah. just not done IVF because it took eight months out of my yeah. timeline. But you know, it is what it is. It's all in timing. Um, and I, and right before, like we actually went into the transfer, like the couple months before that, like kind of when we sat down and decided like we would do the donor eggs and everything, I think I finally, like I started seeing like a therapist who actually specializes in fertility. And Can you she send actually, that to me? <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. She actually was an egg donor for her sister and she did, was an egg donor on her own. And then she struggled with infertility when she tried to have her own and then she's had recurrent loss. So she gets it. Like she's oh, that's amazing. She is amazing. And she, like the first time I met with her, she's like, we need to talk about all this trauma. She's like, do you know, like you have so much trauma and you just like keep pushing, pushing. And I, I finally went to see her cause I was at a point where I just kind of, I felt like I was broken. Like I was like, yeah, I can't like, then like, I really thought about everything that had happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I've like, how, how am I standing? Like, how am I like still like pushing? It's because that's just, I've always been like that. I'm like, just keep going, keep going. And then I just, and we hit a wall. Yeah, it sounds like we're very similar. Like we don't take the time to process because we yeah. well, me, I'm not gonna speak for you, but like I thought, well, getting pregnant again is gonna take away yeah. all the grief. And that's the yeah. only thing that can take it away. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even now, I like I still need to process all six yeah. of the losses. Yeah, it's it's crazy because then you know, and then you just have like this end goal, and I'm so like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's a lot, and it's like literally like another full-time job doing all this like fertility stuff on the side. It is. So, okay. So right now, so you've, so you're waiting on your ERA. So you're probably not, you won't do another transfer until, but you've kind of started the Lupron. Cause that takes so, like, can that be like two months? Three months. So I will transfer three months from my first shot, which was last week. So probably like mid June. Okay. Yeah. And they want to put, and they want to put two in. Good. I think that's great. Our, our very first guest on the show, she had sit, not at all similar like up story to you, but she had like a couple failed transfers and then they put two in and one of them stuck. Yeah. So, and then I always say like, I'm like, well, is it, is it too risky? Like with two or whatever. And I will have to have, because of that 
fistula that's still, it's closed, but it's still there, I'll have to have a 37 week um, C-section with the GI surgeon there just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. But yeah. I know, I feel like, you know, now, now that I'm like, pregnant and people are like, what's your birth plan? I'm like, birth plan. I mean, if they have to like cut me open and take it out, that's amazing. I just want to have a child. There's yeah. no like birth plan. There's no like C-section, whatever you got to do, just make it happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I've also done a lot of, because <laughs> of course I just like, I just want to know everything and how to like deal with it. I'm just that type of person, like with donor children I'm like well what do we do do we tell them do we do this and like from all of the research and all the people that I've spoken to and even like donor conceived adults that I've talked to um they say the best thing is really just to tell them from when they're early like just start reading them books like they make books specifically for that she's like and then it just starts to be part of their story and then so it's not awkward like you don't have to sit them down when they're like 10 or 12 and be like hey because they say the worst thing to do is to have them find out on their own when they're older. Yeah. So you just kind of like read them books, which actually I was like, that sounds like a good plan. Cause if you read them a book and like, they're too young to even understand what you're talking about, but then it just kind of becomes part of their story and it's normal. That's so beautiful. I mean, I can relate. Our nursery right now has like 15 <laughs> adoption books. And I told my husband, cause we're still, we're still active yeah. in adoption. I was like, we're going to have to like section these off. <laughs> but now it's so neat. Like these children books about yeah. you know, adoption or they're beautiful. It's like, I have one up there about a squirrel, like the squirrel yeah. was adopted by some rabbits. <laughs> That's so beautiful. I love that you've, you've come really full circle from sitting at dinner and not knowing and yeah. now you're like all into yeah. education. I'm so excited yeah. for you. I mean, so you guys have nine more embryos. I can't do math. Ten more. So we've got actually eight because one didn't thaw correctly. Okay. Um. So we've got eight, and honestly, I if the next transfer doesn't work, I don't really know what I'm gonna do. I just, it's a lot. <laughs> it's you know. it's so much, and if I mean, I know we have very different stories, but if anything, you know. It took me seven, it took me seven tries and yeah. there's no rhyme or reason to why this one's still kicking, but yeah. um, I have so much hope for you and I'm really, really excited now that I know all the details to continue to follow along. Yeah. Thank you. Well, yeah. It's been quite the journey. Well, do you have anything else you want to share with our listeners? I think we kind of went through two or three of those questions, but um, that was, I loved hearing your story. Thank you so much. Yeah. I would just say. I am really passionate about like now women when, even when you're younger, if you are having like bad period cramps or just like, even if you think there's an inkling, like push to get heard, because I wish I would have pushed harder in my twenties and my early thirties to be heard for like my pain. And maybe I wouldn't be in this position because, um, you know, you're just kind of dismissed by a lot of doctors especially with endometriosis that's what happens a lot and it's a terrible disease that can you know obviously (laughs) obviously cause a lot of issues yeah well if you have any like resources or anything over the next week if you want to send them over to me we kind of do blog posts so I'll